All right, so James 5, 13. Let's see here. Let's start by reading it. Okay. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth let, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, we don't get to talk about those last two verses, which is a shame. So let's talk about them really quick. If your friend is wandering from the faith, they aren't participating in church, they aren't caring about the things of God, it is your duty to go to your friend and to bring them back and to plead with them saying, don't leave Christ, don't leave the faith that you once professed, knowing that if you do this, if you go after someone who's sinning and wandering and you convince them to come back, you have saved their soul from death, from eternal punishment. And God will cover the multitude of sins that are in their life just like he covers over the multitude of sins in each of our lives. So really sweet way for James to end his letter. James wants us to end with this really practical piece of advice which is look out for each other. If someone's wandering, go and get them. And guys, this happens probably more in high school than any other time. This is high school when people are like raised in the church, but now they're thinking for themselves, are they going to be in the church? Are they not going to be? Are they going to do what their parents said? Are they not going to do what their parents said? And some of you have made the choice, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to get baptized, I'm going to make it my own. And some of your other friends are starting to wander and starting to stray. They've said they're a Christian. They may be baptized. And it is incumbent upon each one of us to love our friends enough to go up to them and say, don't do that. Come back into the faith. Come back and join us, okay? That's all I'm going to say on that. Really important. Today, though, what we want to talk about is miracles, okay? We're going to talk a lot about the miraculous. So I want to begin by asking you this question. What is your experience with the miraculous. What's your experience with miracles? Like, you read about them, you've seen them, you heard about them, it's happened to you, it's happened to your friend, your mom had a miracle happen, she performs miracles, what is it? Like, tell me your experience with miracles. There's got to be something out there. Ah, yes. Which sister? Natalie. So Natalie prayed for a little brother. There was little chance that it would happen, you said? Yes. My parents were like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to pray about it. They yeah. were not convinced themselves. 
she got a little brother. She's a witch. She's a witch. Nice. That's not the path we're going down this morning. Thank you. Noel was a. All right, anything else? We can go into the realm of I heard about this happening one time. Anything miraculous? Or are you guys just like, that's not real? Yeah. Ah, so one guy fed 5,000 people with a couple pieces of bread, fish. Yeah, definitely. So Jesus did miracles. Good. Any other experiences with miraculous? Awesome, yeah. So for those who didn't hear, just example, being on a mission trip, Pastor Worley gave, um, and being on empty and just driving and driving and driving and driving for a kind of ridiculous amount of time on empty and getting to where they needed to be um, before, you know, getting to a gas station where they needed. Awesome. Yeah? Yeah, that's a good example, right? So, like, things delaying you or putting you off course, and then you realize, you know, what could have happened if you hadn't been delayed. Good. So good. Yeah. Uh, I was in Ecuador, and uh, with my mom and um, my sisters, and uh, the pastor there took us out in a canoe on the Goliath River. It's really um, poor part of the country. <laughs> And this other canoe came up alongside us with three men, and they pointed guns at us, and we're going to rob us. <laughs> the pastor stood up and started preaching to them, and they let us go. That was pretty miraculous. Yeah, awesome. Uh, on a less serious note, I was driving home from college, uh-huh. and I passed a police car on accident, going much faster than he was, and he pulled me over, and he didn't give me a ticket. <laughs> nice. Yeah? Yeah. Caleb. Don't try that. Don't test them. Yeah. My family, they both said make it through three years on the south side of Chicago when we would hear like gunshots every day, but none of us ever got hurt by anything. I mean, our car radio got stolen one time, but other than that, we were completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Good. Yeah. On 9-11, stuff on his pants made him late to not, not be in the building that was destroyed. Yeah, that's huge. Awesome. Well, good. These are great, helpful examples, okay? So, this morning, we want to talk about 
the miraculous for a little bit here, okay? Um, And I imagine that we kind of split into two camps, most of us do, when we hear these types of stories of miracles happening, okay? Other ones we didn't hear about might be someone being healed from something, okay? So I know uh, David Redenia has a story about being prayed for and and healed of something. Um, uh, Examples of just like waking up in the middle of the night when something wrong is happening. So like I remember um, one time when we were in Jerusalem, we uh, were boiling some chicken and we forgot about it. And we went to bed, and I remember just waking up in the middle of the night, kind of unnaturally, and without contacts. And, if, you know, if I don't have my contacts, then I, I can't see any of you, okay? Um, I could immediately tell that our room was filled with smoke and, you know, got in time to get, you know, the burning chicken off the stove. And um, we could have all died from carbon monoxide poisoning in our house. Um, and so just little things like that that are miraculous. Um, bank accounts that just seem to like your like little savings stash of cash that seems to like never run dry Um, things like that are miraculous but I'm guessing that we are split into kind of two camps some of us we're quick to just be like praise the Lord we're so thankful every time we hear an example like this and excited that God is still doing miracles around us and some of us are a little bit more like well I mean kind of like a coincidence I'm a little skeptical about it do we really have to say miracle, you know, like Daryl being born a boy, you know, boys happen. So, you know, like, is that a miracle or is that not a miracle? Um, and I would say that whether or not you are um, more prone to believing the stories or not believing the stories, I would say that both of those have kind of their strengths and both of those kind of have their weaknesses. Okay, so for those of us who are more prone to quickly believe when we hear of something miraculous happening, um, I think that we are going to be the type of people who are quicker to pray and believe that God is actually going to do big stuff when we pray and ask him to do big stuff. But we might also get duped every once in a while because the truth is not everything that we hear about happening is the miraculous. Some things are not true entirely. And for those of us who are more skeptical, we're probably less likely to get duped by something, but we're also a little bit less likely to pray in faith for God to do really big things. We may not really pray hardly at all, okay? So there's kind of strengths and weaknesses to both sides. And so this morning, as we jump into this topic, I think we need guardrails, okay? So you guys know what guardrails are on a road, okay? They, they keep the car where it needs to be, inside the road. Um, and when you get too close, you bump up against them, you get back in the middle. And so I want to give us two guardrails to keep from going too far on this side and too far on this side when we talk about miracles. If you haven't picked up on why we're talking about miracles, it's because our passage talks about healing people. Okay, that's kind of where we're going down this road. All right, so the two uh, guardrails I would give us are this. Oh, wait, I'm not there yet. Well, I'll give them to you anyways. The guardrails are, on the one hand, there's people who say, God doesn't do miracles anymore. There are no more miracles. Miracles were a special thing that God did in special times in history, um, and they're kind of done. We don't need miracles anymore. So that's this side, okay? And, and I don't want us to get so far that we're bumping up against that guardrail. I don't think we should go that far. The other one is God always gives a miracle if you follow the right formula, 
if you have enough faith, if you're righteous enough, whatever it, the formula is, and there's different formulas out there, God will heal you if you follow X, Y, and Z. That's the other guardrail. So, so both of these should be seen as extremes, and we shouldn't go so far to that side, and we shouldn't go so far to that side. We want to be somewhere in the middle by the end of today. Okay? So, as your pastor, I want to shepherd you in a couple ways. And, and the first way I want to shepherd you is by kind of giving you a taste of what's out there. Okay? Outside the walls of Grace Church of DuPage, there is a whole variety of beliefs about what the Holy Spirit is and what he can do and how you access his power and make it work. Okay? Um, and I've come across it in, I, I'm going to give three categories, good ways, weird ways, and bad ways. Okay? This is, this is my life. Okay? So in my life, I have interacted with men who I deeply respect and deeply revere, um, godly men who believed strongly in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to heal people, um, the power of the Holy Spirit to give wisdom and discernment in various situations, the power of the Holy Spirit even to give prophecy and, and foresight into something that was going to happen into the future. Um, and these were men that I deeply loved and respected because they did it with their Bible in their hand. They didn't do it to manipulate anyone in order to get something from them that they wanted to. Um, and I didn't always understand everything that kind of they did or, or happened around me. But I can tell you that they were men of God. And I'll give you their names. One was a guy named Lyle Dorset, who, who I've referenced at a sermon previously in the main church. And the other is a guy named Sam Storms. Um, if you guys know the name Sam Storms, adults might. Um, but these are both guys who are pastors in churches or professors at Christian colleges, still practicing. Um, great guys. And they are going to emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and emphasize our need to be praying big prayers for the Holy Spirit to do big things. And I had a good experience with that. I had been prayed over by those guys. Um, those guys have given me a lot of wisdom and helped me through things. All right, I don't know if we agree on every single point, but they're guys I really respect, and I had good experiences with them. Another experience would be, um, you know, so there's some people who believe that there's something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's this idea that, after you've been, become a Christian, you still need another kind of like spiritual boost, all right? And that's what they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, it's accompanied by speaking in tongues. If you guys heard this phrase, okay, it's the idea that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you speak a language that's different than the one you know. Sometimes people are able to interpret it. They Biblically, you're supposed to be able to interpret it when you say it. Um, and this falls more into, I would say, just a, a weirder category. So I, I've met guys who believe that and seen them really wrestle spiritually with the fact that they haven't spoken in tongues yet and questioning why would God keep me from receiving an extra dose of his spirit if I want it, right? Why can't I speak in tongues? What's going on? And then being really excited when something happens and they supposedly do, um, so that's kind of in a, a nebulous area that, that we could talk about another day. Another weird experience I've had is I went to an International House of Prayer in Alabama one time. And um, International House of Prayer is just a place where doors are open 24-7. It's a place that's got comfy chairs and a cross and you can go. It's a prayer room, okay? 
And I was on a mission trip, and you know, we, we decided we were going to go and pray. And I went by myself one night and was praying. And a guy walks in, never seen him in my life, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna. God has a word for you." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, it's right here." You know? um, but he's like, "God has a word for you." Um, and I'm going to pray and, and see what that word is, and I want to share it with you, okay? So I, I'm open, sure. Okay, God, what do you want to say, you know, through this guy? And then he's quiet for like five minutes. And I'm just like, okay, all right, waiting patiently for the word. Um, and he finishes and he says, okay, I see three things. I see a um, brightly colored bird, a brightly colored, like, lure and a brightly colored banner. They're all in like primary colors, red and, and blue and, and yellow. Yes, that's all I got. I hope that means something for you. And then he leaves. I'm like, okie doke. <laughs> you know? And I remember going back and having lunch with Sam Storms, the guy that I referenced earlier, and being like, so Sam, you got like, what, what's the deal? Um, and he just said, you know, sometimes there's just nothing in what is said. It's just, it's just a little goofy, and nothing will come of it. I'm like, all right. So I put that in kind of like my weird category. And then I've had bad experiences. The bad experience is I was part of a ministry, a summer ministry, and in that summer ministry, we were supposed to be being discipled by a small group leader, and our small group leader well, the first night was like, hey, guys, I just met this guy, and he's really spiritual, and he's got some stuff he's going to teach us, and he's going to lead our small group. And so this new guy comes in, and he starts teaching us that we need to, um, yeah, we, are, we may be followers of Christ, but we're not yet witnesses. He's referencing a scripture passage that says God um, made them witnesses and acts and sent them out. Um, I would say he's using it wrongly. Um, and he said, you're not quite witnesses of the Holy Spirit yet. Um, and, and you need like an added dose of the Holy Spirit. And when you get this, he told us, your eyes are going to be open to the matrix. You're going to see like demons. You're going to see angels. You're going to be, he's like, have you ever been, <laughs> one night he says, have you ever been pinned to your bed and choked by a demon? I'm like, Because nah. <laughs> he's like, that's going to happen when we, like, when we go down this path. And so like all of us are just like, <sighs> like in our beds, just like, oh, God, please, no. You know, didn't happen. But um, like, this is the type of stuff we're talking about, right? Um, and he would put our small group to tests. He would call us, and he'd say, something really bad just happened, and you guys need to get together, and you need to pray and figure out what it is and where it happened and go there. So we're like, okay, okay, Lord, tell us what happened. You know, we're praying and trying to figure it out. Um, and probably the clear sign that this was bad news was after a whole summer of this, and I, I, I tell jokes about it, but it really messed me up. It was a really hard summer I, because on the one hand, I trust, I was like, this is my small group leader. I trust him. I should, you know, I want to know Jesus more. I want to follow the Bible more. Um, but as I started talking to like my parents about what I was learning, they were like, Nick, this is not good. You should not be following this guy. Um, and so then the clear sign that it was bad news was at the end of the summer, in our small group, you know, this last meeting, I said, you know, I have a few questions. I've been talking to some few, a few people, and here's some scripture passages that, 
seem to maybe disagree with some of the things you're teaching us, and, and I'm kind of confused. And their response was to attack me. They were angry. And they said, I could tell from the moment you started that you didn't have enough faith, is what they said to me, okay? And I remember when I finished the whole experience, one guy came up to me afterwards and he was like, oh man, I'm so glad you said something <laughs> because this has been the weirdest summer of my life. <laughs> and I was like, oh good, You're like, I'm not the only one, right? So all that to say, experiences with the miraculous and with kind of these powerful experiences of the Holy Spirit, there's a whole range there, okay? And so what we obviously, should be obvious, need to do is we need to go back to the Bible and say, Jesus, help us. Like, how do we understand these miraculous things, and, and what are we supposed to think about them? So today, we're going to look at this James passage and hopefully get some clarity as we go. And we got to go kind of fast, all right? So let's look at it again. Um, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. That's important. We should read that and go, whoa, that sounds like someone's getting healed here. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Wow, okay, so James is talking about real like healing stuff happening here. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's, that's a crazy prayer, and crazy things happened. So how do we understand this? Well, let's jump into it. The first thing that I think this passage is teaching us is this. We got to grow in our prayers. We have got to be people who are growing in our use of prayer, okay? So it tells us when and with whom. Well, at the beginning, it says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. And I think it's talking about by yourself. No matter if life is good, if life is bad, you need to be someone who is praying all the time, no matter what's going on in your life. But it also says, if you're really sick, and the impression we get is that you're so sick that you can't come even to church to have the elders pray for you, so you got to call them and say, can you come pray? And yet they're going to pray over you, which I think means you're in bed, okay? They're going to pray over you that you'll get better. So in situations when you're sick, you shouldn't just feel like all I have is me. You also have your church leaders. And you can call them and say, please come, pray for me. Pray that I'll get better. But then we also see later on in the verse that we should be people who confess our sins to one another and pray for one another which I think means that we don't have to have a special elder certificate to be able to pray for people. Any of us can pray for each other, that we should be people who pray with each other, okay? So when and with whom, it should be always alone, with your elders, with your friends. We should just be people who pray a lot, all the time, okay? Under what circumstances should we pray? Well, the beginning says, are you suffering? Are you cheerful? Is life good? Is life bad? Pray. Be someone who prays and praises God in the midst of both of those, okay? And then it gets specifically in sickness. Specifically when you're sick, you should seek out prayer for your health. Let me sit and dwell on that for a minute. Like how many of us, when we're sick, we seek out the pharmacy, right? 
and you know, mom's special cabinet of remedies, you know, and we're rubbing this here and drinking this at this time and whatever it is to get me better, but we just we don't even pray about it. So it's just saying, pray when you're sick. Pray when you're sick. Um, and then it also says that we should be people who are confessing our sins to one another. So what circumstances? Well, whenever we sin, we should be going to our friends and saying, listen, I need just for you to help me to be accountable for this sin. I need to tell you kind of some things that I'm wrestling with. We need to have what I would call normal Christian conversations, which is I'm a sinner. Duh, it's the gospel, right? Like I'm a sinner um, and I need prayer. I need God to help me overcome these sins. Can you pray with me? And we do that type of thing together. So those are different circumstances we need to pray under. How? Well, when he says, are you suffering or are you cheerful, it doesn't give us any instructions on how to pray. I think it's just saying, just do it. But when it gets to this really sick guy on his bed, it gives us some kind of important stuff. It says that call your elders, so call these guys who are known for being church leaders. And what would you expect of your church leader? What, what type of a character should they have? What would you expect, at least? Church leaders. Yeah, they'd be humble. Anything else? What else would you use? Yeah. Close to God, righteous, right? So we might say, these are guys who should probably be righteous. They regularly are doing righteous things. And then we look at verse 16, the second half of it, and what does it say? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So I think it's basically saying, yeah, call some righteous people because their power, their prayers are powerful. Call them to come pray for you. Okay, I think that's the, the direction that we're going in by calling elders. And then it says that they should anoint the sick with oil. And this is different than what we usually see. Okay, But we see that oil is used throughout scripture to kind of set someone apart for a specific um, purpose. It's like a symbolic act that consecrates someone for God's use. Um, and so it's just a practice that he says, you know, anoint them with oil and, and pray for them. Um, I don't really honestly know exactly what it means. We do know that there are people who are healed in scripture when they're not anointed with oil, and there are people who are healed when they are anointed with oil. So it's not part of a magic formula. It's just something that James says they should do. Um, and then they should pray with faith, because the prayer of faith is the type of prayer that saves someone who's sick. So what does it look like to pray with faith? Well, it means that when you pray, you believe that God's going to do something, right? That's what faith is. Faith is believing in something you can't see. And so you're going to say, God, please heal this person. Um, and then it should be prayer out of a righteous heart because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's working. And so a righteous heart is a heart that wants God's will to be done. So as you pray, you pray, God, if it's your will, would you heal this person? Would you bring this person to, you know, heal their cold, heal their broken leg, heal their kidney that needs to be replaced, whatever it is. Um, but then we pray like Jesus did, and we say, you know, but only according to your will, God. If you want to do this, we know you can do it. We're asking you to do it. Do it if it's your will, okay? Um, and then what, we should, what should we expect? What kind of results should we expect when we pray? Well, James says, we should pray like Elijah, who when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. 
So I think what James is saying is you should expect big results. You should expect crazy, supernatural things to happen. I think that's kind of what he's saying here. He's like, we're not just saying, Lord, you know, I'm just not going to expect you to do anything here. He's saying, pray like Elijah did. And he says that right after talking about healing because healing, healing's a big result. To, to come into a room and be told you have cancer and then be prayed for and then go back and have tests done and then say, we can't find any of the cancer, that's something that really big has happened, okay? So healing is a big thing. So we should expect big results. Um, and then who can do this? Who can do these kinds of prayers? Well, the answer is anyone because he says... Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And what he's saying there is, Elijah was a normal guy. And look what happened when he prayed. And the point that we're supposed to take away is, you're normal guys and gals, same thing can happen when you pray. So, I know that we're covering some really interesting stuff here, um, but that's kind of what the lay of the land of this passage is. But let me get to what this passage isn't saying. What this passage isn't saying. This is kind of where the guardrails come in. This is really helpful, I hope. Um, But first of all, this passage isn't saying that sickness is always caused by sin. Because notice it says if they confess their sins, they'll be healed. It's kind of interesting. Um, What I think it's saying is that some of our sins have, or some of our sicknesses have a sin at the root of them. God lets us suffer sometimes because we've walked away from him because we're not following him. And there's some passages in scripture that back this up really clearly, but one of them I referenced a couple weeks ago, and it's when you take communion, Paul says they eat and drink, you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves, and some of you have taken communion wrongly, and you have gotten sick, and some of you have even died because of it. In other words, he's saying your, your sinfulness, your unrighteous behavior, you're coming to the communion table where you're supposed to remember Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and you're just kind of flippantly eating the food and not abandoning your sin, you're holding on to your sin, that God has actually allowed those people to get sick because of that. And some of them have actually died because of it. Now, that is a whole can of worms that we can talk about another day. But the idea is sometimes because you have sinned, you are sick. And the way that you get healed is by confessing those sins, dealing with those sins, and God miraculously heals you because you have confessed those sins. But it doesn't mean every sickness is because you're sick. No, you are sick. Every sickness is because you sinned. We have a clear example of Jesus and the man born blind, and the disciples say, why is this guy blind? Is it because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And they, they, they're saying it's because of sin, and Jesus says, neither one. It's so that God's power could be revealed in him. It doesn't have anything to do with sin. God just wanted him to be blind. And the reason is so that I could come here today and heal him, right? So it doesn't always mean that you've sinned when you're sick. But when we are sick, we should do a little heart searching and say, Lord, reveal sin to me. This is a normal prayer, normal Christian prayer. God, is there sin that I need to confess? Normal prayer. You should do that all the time. Maybe you'll get better. Um, This doesn't mean that prayers for healing will always be granted. It doesn't mean that prayers for healing are always going to work because we have all sorts of really godly people who were prayed for and they didn't get healed. Okay, so clear example would be Paul. Paul had a healing ministry. 
Acts tells us that he went around, he prayed for people, they got healed, okay? But his son in the faith, Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, we hear him writing to Timothy, drink some wine for that stomach issue of yours, um, meaning he's got some sickness in his stomach that's not getting better, and he's giving him a little medicinal advice. Clearly, Timothy had not been healed of whatever it was. And then if you follow Paul a little bit later in his life, Paul is experiencing what he calls a thorn in the flesh, and it's this thing that's tormenting him, and a lot of people think it was a physical problem, maybe blindness or some pain that he experienced. And he asked God three times to take it away from him. God, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. And God responded, no, because my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, I have a plan for this sickness. I have a plan for this problem that you're going through, and it's to make you more holy and not to make you more healthy. He wanted him to be more holy, and the sickness was accomplishing that. So it doesn't always mean that when you pray for healing that it's God's will to heal you. And this is, that's huge because there's people out there who have healing ministries and they will be, say, always it's God's will for you to be healed. Always. They'll say, I haven't been sick in 42 years because I follow God so perfectly, I never get sick. I, I tremble when I hear someone say that. I'm just like, surely that's not going to last because there's a little thing called death that happens to everybody and death is usually brought on by sickness of some sort, you know, <laughs> So it's just a scary thing to say, so be careful of those types of people. Um, it doesn't mean that when healing doesn't happen, it is due to a lack of faith, but sometimes it does mean that. Sometimes we don't see someone get healed because we didn't really believe God would do it. So faith is a big part of this, but there's people in there who would tell you, you're the problem. You didn't have enough faith, and so this person wasn't healed, or the person we're praying for wasn't healed because they didn't have enough faith, but we've already seen an example of Paul who had great faith and was never healed because God spoke to him and said, I'm not going to heal you, and here's why. So we can't say it's always because there wasn't enough faith. And we can't say that there's a special formula that needs to be followed for healing prayer to work. Like if the elders come, they're righteous enough, they have enough faith, they have the oil, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, it equals healing every time. There is no special formula that results in healing because there's this big thing called God's will. Did God, does God want you to get better? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he has a purpose for your sickness. Maybe he has a purpose for your death. Kind of like he had a really big purpose for Jesus' death. Huge purpose in Jesus' death. And he let him die because it accomplished his purpose. Okay? Helpful to know what our church says. Okay? What does our church say? Well, our church says this. We teach that the completion of the canon of Scripture, the more manifestly miraculous spiritual gifts, so miracles, um, are no longer necessary as testimonies to the truth and power of the apostolic word and ministry, and that no one possesses the more manifestly miraculous spiritual gifts. Let me interpret. They say that no one has the gift of healing. We don't believe that someone can say, I have the gift of healing, a.k.a. Um, when I pray for healing, it happens more than other people. Or I have the gift of prophecy or tongues and such that it always happens when I want it to happen. While we teach that no one possesses the more manifestly miraculous spiritual gifts today, we also emphatically, that means we like really strongly believe that God still heals people and performs providential miracles today. So you remember this guardrail that said miracles are done. Our church says 
we're not over there, okay? We believe that God still heals. He can still do miracles, okay? And then it says, there is need for discernment since Satan can counterfeit miracles. We have examples in the Bible, Satan doing pretend miracles. And we would understand some of the reports of miraculous happenings today to be gracious and providential acts of God instead of spiritual gifts. Um, we teach that our God is a sovereign and supernatural God who does as he pleases. We should pray. We should pray. We should pray. Four, and ex- uh, expect God to continue to work in powerful and conspicuous and miraculous ways for the good of his creatures and the glory of Christ. So I think our church does a really good job of balancing these two guardrails. Okay? We're not going to say miracles are done. We're not going to say, you know, someone in our church can heal someone every single time. We're going to say God's sovereign. He can heal people. He still does miracles. We should ask him to do miracles, and we should trust that he's going to do them according to his will. Okay? So finally, what should we do in response to this? Well, there's four key things I see here. We should live righteous lives. We have to be people who live righteously if we want to have powerful prayers. If we want to pray in powerful ways, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We should always be seeking to grow in faith. I mean, we should always recognize that our faith is not as strong as it should be, right? Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. None of us have moved mountains that I know of. And so we always have room to grow in our faith. And so we should be growing in, God, help me to grow in my faith. And, and, you know, like the guy in Mark who says, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, Jesus says, he said to him, if you can heal my son. And Jesus says, if you can heal my son. And he said, okay, help my unbelief. I know I, I'm struggling with this concept that you can do healings. Help me to believe that you can do this healing. So we should always be growing in faith. We should constantly be confessing our sin. I mean, this is part of living a righteous life. Righteous doesn't mean that you always do what's right. It doesn't mean you never sin. It means when you do sin, you confess it. So you're constantly fighting against sin, fight against sin. You're bringing people in, help me to live a righteous life. Let me confess my sin. And then we pray big prayers. I mean, this was something I was convicted of right before the Slovenia trip. Slovenia trip can be like, done this before three years we kind of do our thing god please let someone accept jesus and just convicted as i was studying james and be like i need to be praying a bigger prayer and so i started praying i was like what would be a big prayer i said lord call two people from this team to go into full-time missions someday may this plant the seed in our group of 11 people that they would go and be missionaries someday that was for me a bigger prayer than the prayers i've been praying And so we need to pray big prayers. We need to be people who are willing to say, wow, you broke your arm, you did this. Let's ask God if he wants to heal you. That's not something we do in our church, is it? (laughs) But we should. We should say, God, can you heal this? You can heal this person. Would you heal this person? And pray that he would. And then trust that he'll do what he wants. Okay. All right. I don't know if I've kicked up more questions than answers, but hopefully this has been kind of helpful to run through this really quick. We are way past time, so let's pray. And then we'll be done. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to walk in it with wisdom and discernment and guidance and help us to obey it, even when it feels different than what we're used to or uncomfortable, um, but to be people who pray big prayers, who live righteous lives, who confess sin, and who have faith that you're a God who can do these things and even desires to do these things um, in the lives of your people and those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, guys. We're going to jump into Ecclesiastes next week, our new book. It's going to be fun.